And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Last time in Romans chapter 2, we noted that God's judgment of persons is based on facts. Today, still in Romans chapter 2, we'll see that God's judgment is also according to one's deeds. The great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20 makes this abundantly clear. We all need to run to Christ. And now with his message for today is our pastor, Robert Elliott. And so the self-righteous person here, or by way of the internet, the self-righteous person needs to beware. I want to particularly speak to any who may be here without salvation this morning. Because God will be your ultimate judge. And because he possesses all the facts concerning you, all of the facts, you would best beware of passing over the salvation forgiveness offered you in Christ. Yes, the self-justifying, the religious individual ought to be duly warned that the first principle in our text for God's judgment is that he judges based on the facts. And so if you are my friend here this morning without Christ, please do not delude yourself to think that somehow you will escape the judgment of God going it on your own as your own defense attorney at the great white throne judgment of Christ. It would be reckless to live rejecting Jesus in light of the fact that God judges based on facts. And so the unconverted, the self-righteous, the I-did-it-my-way person, the Donald Trump as he stands right now, I never have had to ask for God's forgiveness for anything that I can recall. That person needs to change course and run to Christ. And so I ask the man in the pulpit, and I ask you, my friends in the pew, uh, do I go it alone? Do you? Have I to date or have you to date unwisely been unaffected by God's mercy toward us? The person who is unaffected by God's great mercy toward them in Christ is in great danger. Because failing to repent and failing to turn to Christ invites God's wrath at the future great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. And so let's look again at verses 4 and 5 of our text in Romans 2. Or do you think lightly, hear it, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God is kind to the person who's not yet a Christian for a purpose. God is gentle and holds back the wrath that the person without Christ deserves for a reason. Verse 4, that it would lead that person to repentance, a sorrow for sin, a change of mind about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. That's why God is merciful and kind to the person who is not yet a Christian, that they would repent if that's you. 
Repent. What impedes repentance leading to salvation? Stubbornness, verse 5. Stubbornness and an unrepentant heart. So if you have by chance taken the popular but the uh, ill-advised stance that I'll take my chances when I stand before Jesus Christ in the end, uh, I'm better than Sammy and I'm certainly better than Sally, I'll be all right. If you take that stance, you are going to be shocked, everlastingly shocked, because God's judgment is based on facts. There's more. The second principle of God's judgment is found in verses 6 to 10, and this is the principle. God's judgment is according to deeds. On the one hand, God's judgment is based on the facts. On the second hand, God's judgment is according to your deeds. Verses 6 to 10. Who, that is God, will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Yes, the principle here is that God's judgment is according to our deeds. It's very clear in both the Old and the New Testaments that this is the principle of God's judgment. God's judgment is tailor-made to the individual. There are degrees of punishment in God's judgment. There is proportionality to God's judgment, both in the Old and the New Testament. A Hitler will see greater torment in hell than the person who has rejected Christ and never murdered. There are degrees of punishment in hell. If you hold your places in Romans uh, 2, please, and go with me to Revelation 20. I've been referring repeatedly to the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Revelation 20, uh, verses 11 to 15, one of the most sobering wake-up calls of all the Bible. The great white throne judgment, this occurs just before the eternal state. This occurs after the thousand-year kingdom reign and rule of Christ called the millennium. This is a resurrection where all the unbelieving dead of all the eras of human history are standing before Jesus as judge in his courtroom. No requirement for circumstantial evidence. Jesus judging them on the facts, giving out tailor-made degrees of punishment in hell. Uh, This ought to motivate evangelism like few other passages. Ought to motivate prayer for the lost. Revelation 20. 11, and I, that's John, saw a great white throne. It was great because there's no more important and weighty a throne. It's white because the judge who sits upon it is perfectly pure and holy. And it's a throne because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing Before the throne and books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. When the lost person stands before Judge Jesus individually, there will be books that Jesus Christ will pour over, not for his education, not for his information as judge, but to make clear that what the person is charged with is, in fact, what the person is guilty of. 
And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. If I marked my Bible, I would underline according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, here it is again, according to their deeds. I'd underline that. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The moralist often is the one who tells everybody else how to be right with God, but doesn't get right with God, him or herself. That judgment I read of is not for the believer, that's for the unbeliever. There was a time in Canada's history when There was raging brush fires sweeping across the Canadian prairie, which is very flat, and lots of wheat and different grasses are growing in that part of Canada. High winds were driving an out-of-control brush fire across Canadian provinces in the west, and people could see that the fires were not being uh, contained by firefighter effort or by the opening of Uh, water planes to drop water on the fire that was just out of control. And the prevailing wind was pushing the fire toward a certain community. And the community leaders told all the people in the town to come with them outside of the town. And they burned a huge, scorched, a huge area of ground outside of their town. And they instructed all the mummies and the daddies, the granddaddies, the grandmummies, the babies, the children to lie flat on the burned off spot of ground. Why? Because they knew that as the flames that were approaching the town, the flames that would destroy, if the people would lie down on a previously burned off spot, those flames would pass over and no one would die. The cross of Calvary is the already burned off spot where God's wrath has been poured out. And the person who runs to that Savior in faith, hopelessness, dire need, the person who runs to that Savior who's the burned-off spot ahead of time and falls in worship and trust and faith at the feet of that Savior, the passing wrath of God that hell is, will pass over that believer in Jesus, and he or she will be safe. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to pick up on our passage of scripture we started off at last week talking about Luke chapter 7 and talking about how we need to show much forgiveness and much love and much mercy to people and just to give you the background as we consider you know we, we started talking about verse, verse 36 and how the Pharisee invited Jesus and he came to the house and he reclined and verse 37 is very clear a woman in the town and they want they want to make they want to make it very clear that it was a woman in the town but also she was a sinner and she found out that Jesus was reclining, and she wanted to come, and she understood. She bought a, a jar of perfume, and she anointed Jesus' feet by washing them and, and crying with the tears, with the tears, and she's washing his feet. We have to understand that in the day, in the culture, it was customary to wash the feet of their guests and to give a kiss on the cheek of the greeting. Jesus pointed out that the host did neither for him, yet this woman did. And again, as I talked about last week, I think that we get so caught up and we're no different today that we point out people and we point out the wrong in people's lives and we don't look for what's good in their lives. 
And as we think of verse 39, when I pick up, and it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Here it is, a Pharisee, it, all he is seeing is this woman and, and saying that she's a sinner. And basically he's questioning who Jesus is. If he was a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is. And Jesus replies, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And we see that. He recognizes that he's a teacher. And now he goes on and talks about how, you know, there was a creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And I think that as we consider this, here it is, Jesus, as we consider ourselves, he came to earth and he died for sinners, just like me, just like you. And he died for us, whatever sin we have done, past, present, and future. That is what he did. He paid the price. He didn't just pay the price to say this is the worst sin. He paid it for the small sins and the big sins because we are all sinners. Verse 43 says, Simon answered, I suppose the man he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turn into the woman, he said to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she with tears has washed my feet and wiped them with the hair. Imagine that. Imagine he's saying, look, you didn't even give me some water to wash my feet. You didn't give me a towel. You gave me nothing. And she is willing to wash my feet with her tears. And wash my feet and wipe them with her hair. She hadn't stopped kissing my feet as I came in. Verse 46. You did anoint my hair with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Again, as he is portraying, he is saying to the Pharisee, Look, you need to learn to forgive. You need to learn to show mercy. Because that's our biggest problem. Our problem is that you don't want to show mercy to a lady like this. And I think that as we look at the passage of Scripture, we can see so much of ourselves sometimes, even in the church today, that we don't show mercy to the sinners who have come through our doors all the time. Because we need to recognize that we are sinners, but we are saved by grace. We don't know who's coming in our church doors. And the question is, what are people going to see and say about our lives? Are they going to see Jesus Christ, even as we walk about life, when we go out into the grocery store, when we go and pay those bills, when we go to wherever we go, what do people see in our lives? Do they see Jesus Christ? Do they see the love of Christ? Do they see someone who shows mercy and who is, just wants to show the love of Christ? Or did they see a judgmental person, a person that wants to put someone down because of their past or because of what they look like? Again, as we consider this, verse 49, it says that those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, I want to challenge you this morning, if you listen to this broadcast, that you would remember that we do have a gracious God. We have a loving God. We have a God that loved us so much that he sent his son into this world to die for so that we can have a relationship with him. We have a God that can forgive you of any sin. How big a sin it may be or how small a sin, he has paid the price for each and every sin that you've committed. 
So I challenge you this morning, if you're listening to this broadcast, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation? As we consider the, the, free, the free gift of grace and mercy, as we consider just as this woman, was, she understood. And she recognized that, you know what? This man can forgive me of my sin. This man, I want to bow down to his feet and worship and, and do what I can. What about you? Even as a Christian this morning, if you're listening to this, when's the last time you've been broken down and just cried out to God and just, you know, just at the feet of Jesus and just cry out to him? I would challenge each and every one of us that we would search our hearts and our lives and that we would not be judgmental, but that we would, again, be the Christ that people need to see. That we would be the witness that people need to see and know that we can point other people to Christ. And the reality is in closing is this. You are either an example as a Christian of bringing people to Christ or pushing people away from Christ because they see your actions and you say you're a Christian. And I want to challenge you. Are you bringing people to Christ? While pushing them away from Christ. This is Pastor Nicholas in edition of You Talk. And now, today's ministry spotlight. This morning, pleased to have in the recording studio my friend and partner in the gospel, Dr. Stephen Lewis. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Lewis is the president of Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary in Denver, Colorado. And I would like to talk with you about something I believe is at the center of your ministry and your passion for Christ, and that is the global need for a new generation of church leaders. What should we know is on your heart about that? Well, generally speaking, uh, there have been great movements of evangelism throughout our world in different times. And that evangelism has brought many people to Jesus Christ and received everlasting life. I think of down through history, great movements that have happened in the West and in the East and all throughout the world. But what we also find is that the Great Commission is to make disciples. And too often when there's a large portion of people who come to saving faith are now really spiritually needy for certain truths, and there are a lot of other options that are filling those voids that are not biblical. So our passion has been, uh, mine and my wife, as well as the ministries that I've been involved in as a pastor uh, in the different schools, seminaries, universities where I've taught, and in the mission field that I now minister within, the need for developing leaders. Somehow, some way, somebody has to step up and begin to lead these people. There are places in our world today where there are eight pastors for a thousand congregations in Uganda, as an example. Wow. And you go to some places where they have one Bible that they share within like 40 churches, one Bible for 40 churches. Yes. Wow. Uh, and so what we find is, is that they find creative ways of doing this. Uh, the, the amazing stories I find in Myanmar and the history there uh, with Adoram Judson, how he translated the Bible into Burmese and was imprisoned for it, and yet his wife hid that translation so that when he got out, he was able to, to further that work there among the Burmese people. 
And one of the most amazing things there is that his church that he founded in Myanmar, the old Burma, is founded now on the university campus, a secular university Mm -hmm. campus where it's still there. Mm -hmm. So there are remnants of these things that have happened hundreds of years ago, and yet God is at work. So if we can begin to disciple Everyone needs to disciple somebody, and everybody needs to be discipled. There's always somebody that knows a little bit more that's a further down the road in the walk with Christ. There's always somebody that's also coming behind us that are further behind us and newer in the Lord that we can disciple. So everybody needs to be discipled and everybody needs to be a a discipler in our world. It doesn't have to happen in the church setting because we think of the church as only a building. The church is the body of Christ. And wherever it occurs, that's the church. If you meet with three people at a coffee shop, that's the church if we're believers. If you meet in a farm with other farmers, that's the body of Christ, the church. We narrowly define things for the sake of sometimes providing an ease of escape of not complying. And what God wants us to do is to say we need to develop these leaders. And what we do at Be World is, is we disciple the disciples because everybody that learns the material has to teach it to someone else. Not just so that they may learn it, so that they may also teach it. We go, we believe we go down to like three or four generations of teaching. And then most of the time that geographic area is ready to almost establish their own bee. And that's been exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Just last year, we saw the country of Myanmar after having been discipled and discipled others over these 10 plus years now, now are called B Myanmar on their own. They have their own national directors, Edward and Hannah, great people in the Lord. But their whole goal is to reach all the adjacent countries to Myanmar. And if you want to have an exercise to do today, go to a a map or a globe and see all the countries that are adjacent to the country of Myanmar. And you began to see the enormity of what that one leadership hub can do to help establish not just evangelism, but establish the leaders of tomorrow in the adjacent countries themselves. Let me just jump in. I'll give you a clue <coughs> if you're wanting to find that. Yeah. Uh, Myanmar touches up against Thailand, among other things. Yeah, that's true. And it touches against China. It touches against Bangladesh. It touch, it's an amazing center. That's just one example. We're ministering, and I've, be, I've been teaching in Uganda. I have 16 leaders that represent 10 countries. And in those countries, they have up to three or four generations of believers being discipled. This July, we will be having their first formal graduation with credit from Rocky Mountain Bible College because they were able to show that they have credit, not just teach, not just learning something, but now having taught it to another group who has taught it to another group who has taught it to another group. And to that, we're excited about. And when you meet these men that are ministering in Malawi and Rhodesia, old Rhodesia, which is now uh, Zimbabwe, South Africa, 
uh, Kenya, all these countries, you begin to see the Word of God multiplying what it said it would. Excellent. Someone, someone has said that when you cut open an apple, uh, you can count the seeds, or you can count the apple trees that are in the seeds. Amen. And so I think that's what you're talking exactly. about. This has been such a delight, not just today, to chat with you about things that are important, but uh, these several episodes we've recorded, we so appreciate you being willing to do this, and we believe it's going to really help people. So I wonder if you could close this episode, Dr. Lewis, in prayer, please. Yes, please. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks today for your marvelous grace, for your message that never changes, and the mandate that's never rescinded we might not just become believers, place our faith in you, but also that we might become a disciple and then a discipler, that we carry this message to our world that is waiting for the church to to do something. Lord, let us be those that do it. We thank you for the ministry here. Pray for the Bahamas and all the work that goes on, Mm -hmm. that it might be that which glorifies you, that in years to come, it will be a starting place to see that many people came out of this country and ministered in everywhere else in the world because they are on fire for you. Oh, please. Thank you today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.